Hello friends, I hope you are doing very well. Today I am excited to share this conversation with my friend Jessica Grant. Jessica and I talked about how to have difficult conversations. We talked about how to ask for help and we talked about this idea of teacher care as really the catalyst for all of the other important work that we want to be doing inside the classroom. Jessica has such wisdom in this area and so I was excited to talk to her about this subject because this is an area of growth for me and this is one of the realities of teaching that I think we talk about um, perhaps a little bit less than other topics such as you know music pedagogy or song analysis or all of the really fun and exciting things that brought us to music education but when it comes to the things that kind of stick in the back of our brains at the end of a really long, um, maybe a kind of fatigued day, <laughs> um, the, the pedagogy problems don't tend to be the things that weigh us down as much as the behavior problems and the communication problems and um, finding ways to address some needs for parent support. All of those things, those can be more of the challenges of teaching elementary general music more so than the actual music side of things. So there are times that we need to pick up the phone and ask for help from parents and guardians about how to support students because something in the classroom is not working and those conversations are tricky. One of my favorite things about Jessica's message is the idea that teachers can make the biggest differences when they are filled up, when they are cared for themselves. This is the idea that teachers matter as much as students. So if you have ever struggled with how to initiate a difficult conversation, if you've ever struggled um, with how to prioritize yourself in your teaching, I think you will be very interested in what Jessica has to say. This is a conversation that is definitely grounded in the reality of teaching. And it's also equally grounded in this optimistic encouragement of how to move forward. If you listen to this podcast and you would like to write Jessica, I know that she would definitely appreciate it. And I certainly know that she deserves it. You can find her bio and her contact information with the link in the show notes. So if you just click on that link and then scroll down, you will find her email. Um, sending someone an email just to say that uh, you appreciate what they are doing in this field is something that does not take a lot of time, but it has a very big impact. So again, that email is in the show notes if you are interested in that. Okay, and with that said, I am excited to start this conversation with Jessica Grant. Jessica, it is so good to see you. Thank you for coming on to have this conversation with me. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this. Can you start off by sharing just about your current teaching situation and what, what your weekly life is like? Sure. So I am a general middle school music teacher. I teach grades five through eight. We have about 240 students in middle school. Our classes are 70 minutes in length. So we're on an AB rotating schedule. Some of my classes meet yearly. Some of them meet for a trimester. I also have select ensembles that meet in the middle of the day, drum on Mondays, recorder Tuesdays, these Olive Phone Ensemble Thursdays. And then on Mondays and Tuesdays after school, I have choir. 
So my daily week is pretty full. In addition to the music end, I am a fifth grade advisor. So I'm in charge of 11 awesome fifth graders. I conference with the parents. I talk with them consistently. I just make sure that students are handling the shift to middle school well from lower school. So I'm kind of their advocate for them. Wow. I bet everyone listening is thinking, oof, I wish I had someone to help me transition into middle school. Right? I wish I had had it too. So I enjoy building that relationship with those students in particular. That's great. That's awesome. I I love hearing how many different pathways of musicking you have on a weekly basis, but you have a way to kind of like wrap them all up with your, with your viewpoint of music education. That's awesome. That's awesome. Is there anything before we keep going? Do you, do you have anything that you want to share about your situation in terms of, uh, general music and upper elementary? I know it's very broad, but it's something that people like, it's a, it's a different ballpark. It is a different ballpark. It kind of like, I've said this before when I was talking with my friend Danielle Lyric, and you almost feel like the stepchild of music education because you're not quite elementary. You're not, I mean, you are middle school, but it's not band, orchestra, choir. So when you go to conventions and conferences, you're like, what do I attend? What's going to benefit me? How do I find my people who understand what it's like to work with these middle schoolers, but also bringing them into a general setting. And so that can be a challenge, but it's also a total blessing and just a great way to bring music to as many kids as possible who might not otherwise experience it. That's huge. Um, that, you know, we, we talk about how the ensemble track is going to be able to serve 15 percent of students and you're like yeah but if we say music is for everyone where's where's the rest of the education for the rest of the students yes and I see all 240 students I know that's small compared to what maybe others might see but seeing them every other day yeah 70 minutes again some of them yearly some of them trimester but I see literally every student I interact with every student and I think that makes a difference And not only my relationship with them, but in bringing them some kind of music education to where they have knowledge about what music means to them and what it'll look like in their lives. Mm. That's huge as well in terms of the types of uh, the levels of enthusiasm that you are going to see that you are not teaching the students who have elected to be there. You are teaching the students who are at the school right? Like again, music is for everyone. And sometimes our pathway to that will be with an elective ensemble. And sometimes everyone's getting to explore a new pathway altogether, even if you have never tried recorder before, or even if you tried it and you didn't like it, like there are always new opportunities. And so you are not just getting uh, the students who enthusiastically went out of their way to be in your classroom. Yes. Which can be a challenge at times, especially with middle schoolers who are like, well, I'm not a singer. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm not good at this, or they're good at this. They've kind of formed in their minds that music is a talent and it is not something you can grow into. And I feel like that's my job starting in fifth grade to, as they're going through puberty and as they're, you know, developing as teenagers to go, no, 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 you are a musician. You can Mm -hmm. do this. You might not feel comfortable doing it, 
but we're going to build your confidence over time, hopefully, and help you see that you are a musician. You can engage with music in multiple mm -hmm. ways and mm -hmm. find a place that fits you. That's great. Yeah, that's beautiful. I bet that has a lot of tie-in uh, to your parent communication, that you are not only teaching to the the top, you know, 15% who are so enthusiastic about music, you're teaching to everyone. Okay, so I want to go there. Very quickly though, or maybe not so quickly, it's up to you. You have a very interesting perspective on being a music teacher. You have perhaps the most controversial idea about being a teacher at all, which is teachers matter as much as their students. Can you talk about that? And I'll let you go any, any place you want with that. But I think that's a very um, under underutilized view. Yeah, I think we go into teaching to help others. And we go into teaching because we love what we're doing. We love music. Many of us were musicians in one way or another. We participated in ensembles. We went to school because we were passionate about getting to do it ourselves. And eventually we kind of find a niche, whether we work with younger students, older students, but it's easy to completely lose yourself in mm -hmm. the education world mm -hmm. and to forget that our health and who mm -hmm. we are matters. And I think my journey, I don't know how personal you want this to be, but I'll kind of give my it's, short journey because I think yeah. it's one that maybe many teachers have experienced, but, um, Fairly early on, probably five to six years in, I got into a very low depression. Mm. And um, I'm a happy, positive person. Like, I have a positive outlook on life. I have a strong faith in God. I just love what I do. But I got into a really low depression and just struggled and struggled and struggled. And um, finally met with my doctor who was really able to get me the support that I needed. That support comes through counseling. It comes through medication. It comes through learning how to take care of your body mm. and knowing what you need. Do you need to feed it better? Do you need more sleep? You know, some of the basics are the things that we as teachers let go of. And so early on, I learned that if I did not take care of myself, I would not be able to function well and give my students what they need. And I think that is part of what makes me advocate for other teachers to consider where they are to, we use the word balance, but someone recently used the word blend, blending our teaching lives, our daily lives. And I love that because you never really leave teaching, even at home, my brain is like, thinking through creative things I can do with students, but I also want to give my family the best of me. I also want to take care of myself so that I'm in a healthy place mentally and physically. And I think that early experience with that, and it's been something I've dealt with for many years in different ways and to different degrees, but I think that really put the emphasis on if I am not taking care of me, then I'm going to struggle to take care of the people around me. And I love the people around me and I need to learn to love myself just as much as I love them. Mm. And that's a whole process. I, I think that's a lifelong journey, but mm. yeah, that is something that we so easily do. I think I can speak pretty generically in taking care of others and going, Oh, you know, 
I didn't eat today. I didn't even have a bathroom break today or it's okay. I'll get to that sometime. And then you go weeks and weeks and you're totally depleted. So I definitely believe that we should be looking out for what best feeds us so that we can feed others. Mm. This is not the, the direction of the call that I told you we would take, but do you see any overlap between what you're talking about with teacher? Um, I'll use the word martyrdom. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that in like a bad way, but just the idea of like, I will give everything for my students. I will give my time. I will give my health. I will give my energy. I will give the time I set aside for my family. I will give my vacation. I will give my paycheck. I will give everything. I will pour my, my whole soul into this. I use martyrdom in that sense. Do you see any overlap with the martyrdom in teaching compared to the martyrdom that sometimes we use to describe motherhood? Oh, gosh. Yes. As a mom myself, I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. It's like whatever is the squeaky wheel, whatever is the thing that needs your attention, whether it's students in the classroom, whether it's parents who are really worried about their kids or who aren't worried about their kids, or seemingly so. And so you're worried about reaching them because you feel like they're not on worried. behalf of. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and then at the same time, as a mom, you're concerned about your kids and you will do anything and everything for them. And because they take so much of your time and you love them so much, it's so easy to focus only on them. And I don't think it's wrong at all to give yourself to them or to your students. And in fact, I mean, it's hard not to (laughs) because you just love them so much, your kids and your kids at school. And finding the time is easier in some stages than others, Mm. you know? And so, yeah, I absolutely think that for sure we give all that we have and it can be a struggle not to. Mm. Yeah, and it's part it's part of the the matrix that you're using to make decisions, right? Like, uh, how how will this decision impact other people? And that can slide over into like, how can I nurture everyone around me until I have nothing left? Yeah, yeah. And then you notice that you have nothing, and that you're feeling totally depleted. And then you're like, I don't have time to put myself into the equation. I don't have time to fit myself in. And again, it's taken me years to go, okay, I know I need a lot of sleep. So I'm going to read some books on sleep, like the one from Matthew, Dr. Matthew Walker, Uh you know, and learning about sleep. How does my brain work? Depends how deep you want to go with this kind of thing. But for me, sleep is one of those things I absolutely need to prioritize could not prioritize it when they were little babies. It was Mm. so hard. And so you, you have to give yourself grace in those stages as you're going through that. Not every stage is going to look the same. And yes, you're not going to have time for yourself in every single way, but to just go, it, it is a stage. What can I do? Even if it's five minutes, even Mm. if it's literally one minute, closing your eyes, taking breaths while, you know, you're, resting Mm -hmm. (laughs) in between class and you only have five minutes between those classes, but just realizing it's never going to be perfect, but some stages will be easier than others. Mm. I know that will be very helpful for people to hear that, that everything is a season, right? And so if you have 
a very busy season, like if you are in concert season, you know that this is the time where you are sprinting. And you know that after sprinting, you are going to walk a lap. But if you only let everyone around you, like the needs of everyone around you direct your actions, you will end up sprinting until you collapse. And then who are you saving as you are collapsed? And I've often seen, and my mom was a music teacher. I saw this with her consistently too, where she'd run, 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 run. And as soon as she stopped, she'd get sick. Or right, the con- you know? Yes, I know. It's like, <laughs> you're just going, going, going. And then you know, you're trying to meet all the needs of others and potentially yourself too. And then finally you make it to that end and your body just goes, okay, we can't do this anymore. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard. Life can be hard. (laughs) Yeah. And it it goes to, for me, two things I want to say. One is so often it, it seems so much easier to do everything ourselves And so I'm not going to email parents to ask them to help with the musical. I will build the sets myself. I'm not going to ask a colleague to move this, um, you know, this bass xylophone. I will move it myself. It's too hard for me to think about what needs to happen and formulate a plan and then communicate that plan and then follow up on that plan. That's overwhelming. I would rather just get blisters and not eat for seven days and not sleep and, you know, and snap at my husband because like someone has to move the alto xylophone, right? And what you're saying, it has to be me, right? And this is the other thing I was going to say is ultimately this lifestyle leads to resentment and it leads to resentment of the people you care about the people you profess to be trying to help you know this is what leads to snapping at students this is what leads to talking poorly you know gossiping about a colleague this is what leads this is how we end up like thinking the worst about everyone else instead of thinking the best possible you know um interpretation of everyone else's actions it's because you think that everything comes back to you, that you have to be the one to do everything. And you are, again, you are pouring out of an empty cup. Does what, does what I'm saying make sense to you, Jessica? I think so. I think so. I think too, you begin to resent yourself and what you're Mm. doing and compare yourself to others because it looks so much easier, especially in the Instagram world for how perfect things are curated and Mm -hmm. created and beautifully depicted And so you can resent, well, I have to do this at my school and they probably don't have to do this without Uh knowing the struggle that that person is going through because they're not showing it. And, Mm. you know, we don't often want to share that side. And sometimes we don't want to see that side either. It's it's better to see the put together, but you can become resentful because it's like, I'm doing this all on my own. But like you said, then you're not asking for help. And I think asking for help is so hard because we have a vision of what we want something to look like. And we trust ourselves because we've got this vision of how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. We know what needs to be moved. We don't want to burden other people or yeah. we don't want to ask for help and then see that nobody offers to help and think they don't care. Oh, that'd be when, heartbreaking. You know? Yep. Yeah. So I think you just... I think asking for help is so hard and you feeling resentful is not fun. That's not good. Good feeling. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's keep on this idea of asking for help. I think that would be a great baby step for a lot of us, uh, myself included. So can you talk to me with your experience being a very uh, diplomatic person and being a very direct communicator, but also being a very like um, encouraging and optimistic person? What are some steps that you could take, that I could take, that anyone can take? How I know it seems simple. How do I ask for help? And could you break this down for me? How do I ask a colleague for help? And how do I ask a parent for help? Hmm, that's a good question. I am actually better about asking my colleagues for help than I am parents. Okay. I think we have a wonderful parent community at my school. I love them. Um, I also know that they they are very involved in different ways in the community and involved mm. in school, but I feel like the way that things are put together, I still find it hard to ask for help from them because it feels distant or mm. I'd have to figure out, okay, if I ask them for help, what time would it work out? Yeah. And then co- all the coordinating and things. So I think I'll start with my colleagues because that one's easier for me. So one of the best ways that I think we could ask for help is by, and I did this with our eighth grade musical last year, listing out what are the things that we will need help with. You know, we were going to go and borrow some set pieces from another local school. And so we had to coordinate getting a U-Haul and then having people help move the set pieces. So I just simply sent an email out to our entire middle school staff asking, you know, here's here's the plan. I'm going to go get the U-Haul. We need a few people to meet us at this facility. It's about 10 minutes away. Here's the address. And then we need a few people at the school to help unload it into the cafeteria. Here's the time. Here's the date. Please let me know if you're available. And they were so gracious. We had at least like five or six people who are like, I'm there. I'm willing to Mm -hmm. help. This is great. So then I was able to either text them or just send a reminder email. But it was nice because I had already known, okay, we need the U-Haul. I'll do that part. Okay, we Mm -hmm. need to meet the facility. Here's what they'll be getting. Just kind of the details of exactly what you're asking for help for. Other things that we've had to ask for help with the musical is like parents helping out back. We don't really have a stage stage. It's in the cafeteria. So there's not a great place for students who are like off in the wings Mm -hmm. to be other than in the art and music room, which is off the back. So we needed a few parents that we emailed the families and said, here are the three performance dates. We need a couple of parents who would just stay in the back, be with the kids monitoring. You would be able to watch the other two performances, but if you would give your time for one of them, that would be amazing. And of course, you're talking about roughly 60, 62 students back there, a couple on stage. And so you're not going to get tons and tons of parents needed because you only need three or four, but by giving it to the whole parent population saying, here is exactly what you'll be doing. Here's Mm -hmm. where you'll be doing it. And you're not missing seeing what your child is performing because you'll have two other opportunities. So we want to make sure that you can see your student performing, but we also need this help. And then we also asked for support for makeup or for costumes. Here's a list of costumes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, If you can provide your student with theirs, or if you have these pieces at home, please let us know. Mm -hmm. So I guess that is the way that 
I asked parents for help with that, that kind of thing. I had forgotten about it. But I think having it clearly written down what it is you're asking for help, what times you need them, where they are to meet you, and how they can let you know whether through a Google form or whether you want them to put in a group me, if you have a group me, it just depends. Do you want them to put it in the learning management system? You know, giving clear directions and making it pretty simplistic mm. and breaking it down so it's it's not overwhelming for the parents to where they're like, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. Yeah. You know, um, it, but some families are like, oh, we would love to help with decorations or, oh, you know, we love to bake. We'd be happy to do that. So as you get to know your parent community, too, you can begin to reach out individually mm. and go, I know that you've loved to bake. Would you be able to facilitate getting multiple parents together to, you know, have things ready for after a performance, something like that. But I think that's the first thing about asking for help is figuring out what are some simple tasks or if they're big tasks, how can you break it down? Mm. Or are there parents that you know really well who could kind of head it up where you can talk to them and then they can find the people to help you as well? Mm. Yeah. And going back to this conversation about trying to pour out of an empty cup, if you are running around just putting out fires as they come because you haven't slept in three days and you've had to go to the bathroom since 830, but also you've been underhydrated since seven o'clock this morning, right? If your life is just a frantic hamster wheel of putting out the next fire in front of you, you don't have the mental capacity to make the list to ask for help, which is why you, Jessica, are saying that you have to take care of yourself first. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, that's, that is with parents. And you also, I heard you say that we need to have clarity with what we are actually asking, because if it's just like, can you come help out with the kids? Then that, that's a, a whole Chaos other. Chaos control. Yeah. There, there yes. needs to be a, you know, from this time to this time, you'll be in this room. Mm -hmm. Here's, you know, the kids may be sitting around the tables. They may have activities there. Yeah, I used to do that with my concerts too for fourth and fifth graders where it's mm -hmm. like, I need someone in the, the room. Here's their seating charts. Here's mm -hmm. where they'll be lined up. It's fine. They can talk. We'll have a video on the screen. But so parents know that it's just not chaos control because that stresses them out. For so sure. Kind of having, having a plan helps. Yeah, definitely. I also heard you say that they get to choose their strength, right? So if someone is like, yeah, I do have time because I live in a world where I don't have to be, you know, working uh, an unreliable shift, right? So I can show up at the school and be there to support my child. But I bet there are also, you know, I know that there are a lot of people listening and they're like, yeah, well, my parents are not available to come in because my parents are like working to support their children or like my parent, the parents in my community are working on their own things right now and they're not available. What you are saying is not every task needs to be a parent physically driving to the school and giving up their time. And if you have the, the space to think about everything that needs to get done, there are some tasks where the parent doesn't need to come on campus at all. There are some tasks where a parent who wants to be involved can be involved on their own time 
time frame and you are giving, you know, because you have the list of everything that needs to be done, you have a list of flexible things that parents can do depending on their situation. Because I think, I think one of the things that, that we do is sometimes like we, we kind of assign parents their motivation for them of like, well, I don't have a community where parents want to be involved. And you're like, well, that, no, you're, you're asking them. And I know this is not true for every situation, but if we are only asking parents to come volunteer during working hours, they might really want to be involved. They might really want to be there for their kid, but the structure that we are giving them is not one that they can, that they can show up for. Does that make sense? Yes. And some parents can show up. Some parents have the capability to bring something in, Mm. you know, where it's like, oh, we can provide this. I'll have my child bring it in. Some parents are not available. And I've been in that school situation where you work in a school where the parents are overwhelmed, just trying to make ends meet. And they have a lot going on in their own lives and they can't support you. And so if you have a community where you feel very much like, no matter what I ask for, I'm not going to get help. They can't bring things in or, you know, whatever it may look like. That's where the building of a colleague support system, talking Mm. with your admins and simplifying things. Maybe Mm. you don't need big backdrops. Maybe you don't need a fancy set. Maybe you just simply want to get kids singing. You want to get, you know, if it's a musical, you want to have them acting. Maybe they make things an art class that they Mm -hmm. wear, um, more symbolic of a costume than a full Mm -hmm. costume. And maybe you start out being okay with it being simplistic and then helping get your team involved, whether in my case, it was always the art teacher, PE teacher, librarian, and myself, sometimes the science teacher when we had that as an elective and getting those people around you and having them assist, finding that team around you who believes in what you do and Mm. in music education um, and not, not solely that, you know, they have their own. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I make sure it's not all about music because other things matter too, but getting that team around you to help you create an experience for these students where they can be successful. It's sometimes better to go simplistic and be able to work with the colleagues to give the students what you can allow the parents to do what they can, whatever that may be, Mm -hmm. and be okay with that without it looking like how you may have this huge vision of and and just making it the best it can be for students without putting the pressure for it to be perfect or lining up with what you wish it was and Mm -hmm. using what you have instead. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Jessica, let me um, give you a situation. Um, I... This is hypothetical. I don't want to ask my colleagues for help because I think they'll be mad at me. I think they're going to be mad and annoyed that I'm asking for help because like they are already giving up. I'm asking them to give up their planning for this. I'm asking them to like let me work with students during this time. So I don't think I'm going to ask for help because I don't want anyone to be mad. I could see that. You're thinking about their needs and thinking about how they have a lot on their plate too, because you know what you have and you know they equally have that just in a different realm. But if you think about it from the view that if your art teacher came to you and Mm. asked you, hey, I have an art show, 
I really need help hanging this. You're likely, or I'm going to assume this, you're mm -hmm. likely going to go, oh, how cool. I love that the kids are doing this. Sure, I'd be happy to help you with that. If the teacher needs something, you know, printed where it's name tags and she just needs help putting on the names on the artwork. Sure, of course. So I think, again, it comes down to planning. And when you go to your colleagues to ask for help going, here's my thought on this. This is what I would need. Maybe it's one or two rehearsals with the whole grade level and they wouldn't get to go to art or whatever for those two rehearsals. Would you be willing for us to do this? And if not, always looking for options. Okay, if we can't do it during that time, mm. then is there another time where the classroom teachers, where you could work with them and go, I'd really like to rehearse with the whole grade. Here's my, my schedule. Maybe we can work around this schedule, have them come in. You might not have your planning time those two days, but again, it's a season, it's short-lived, and then you get to rehearse with them. Maybe it's during a lunch period and you have lunch with the students and with the teachers and you explain some details about it that you didn't get to in class. So just figuring out, okay, what are my options? Mm. What can I do? I think that's one thing that COVID taught me was with all the things we couldn't do, you had to look at what you could do and work yeah. within the parameters. So yeah. again, your colleagues, they might be frustrated and like, oh man, that's gonna be more work but they're also going to be understanding. Um, some of them may not be as much as others, but I think sometimes that's just the way it goes. Sometimes things don't go the way we hope them to go. And I think it's more giving them an option of, would this work for you? If it doesn't work for you, what else is possible? Mm. How, else, how else could we do this? And of course, talking to your admin as well, to see if they can see it from your side. Here's what I'm needing for this to go well, for this performance to go off and to be productive and to be the best it could be. I really need the whole grade level together or I really need mm. two rehearsals for this. How can we make this happen? And sometimes that also helps. But yeah, look at options and then present again, a couple, a bullet point of, bullet point list of here are the things that would be wonderful to be able to do. Here's the bare minimum ideal and then go from there and just ask. You never know if you don't ask. And I think it all comes down to how you ask. If you're demanding and if you're not seeing their view and just saying, I need to meet with these students and I know they have art, but it doesn't matter. And we're just gonna do it this way. That's not gonna go well. So being yeah. a team player and asking your team what is possible I think yeah. that it, at least try, try to ask because again, you never know. Mm. Yeah. You're going to be a team player and also know that you are part of the team. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's and good. It, you take turns. You've got the field day stuff. You might be dealing with an upper elementary. You've got, yeah. you know, spelling bees, geography bees, whatever it may be. So there's a lot of give and take depending on where you're at and the season and asking for what you need is not a bad thing. Mm. Don't say demand, it again, Jessica, for the people in the back. Say it again. <laughs> I have to remember what I said. <laughs> you said um, that asking for what you need. Asking for what you need is not a bad thing. It's a, it's human. It's, it's just simply asking, this is what I need. And honestly, it's not self, 
selfish because you're asking for your kids for this experience that they're going to have. So yeah, ask for what you need. You never know. People might be like, oh my gosh, yes, I'd love to help with this. And Mm. can, you know, is there anything else you need? People Mm -hmm. are amazing. So Mm -hmm. I liked, I liked what you said about having a bare minimum request and then like a shoot for the stars request. I did that with budgets when I was the arts coordinator at a school in California. Um, I did that with budgets like, here's the dream, but here's what I need to survive, you know? And I, I it hadn't occurred to me to do that with asking for support, you know, it's specifically in t- when it comes to um, asking for time from teachers, which I know is is precious. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I also heard you say is there will be times that colleagues are frustrated. There will be times that you ask for something and it is met with frustration from someone. And that is part of being a human with emotions is that sometimes those emotions are anger, disappointment, frustration, and those emotions live equally alongside contentment and joy and happiness, right? Um, what What is your thought on, let's do a pivot to parent communication, because with all of this, as we are living in a world where we teach students, we are going to have some sort of interaction with parents. What are your thoughts about uh, communicating with parents let's do let's break this up into two pathways if this is okay with you we can go any direction you want with this but let's imagine that you are going to give a parent some difficult news and then let's imagine that you have just opened your inbox and now you are receiving a difficult message from a parent so let's separate it Um, I don't know which one of those you want to take first but giving initiating a difficult conversation or receiving a difficult message Okay, we'll start with the initiating, I guess. Uh, Both are hard. (laughs) Both are hard to hear hard news or opinions or thoughts on yourself, your teaching, um, or hearing about something a student is going through that you were unaware of or even that you knew but now know more about is hard. Initiating a hard conversation can be a challenge, especially if you don't know the family well. Yeah. Um, You know, and... I will say that um, prior to having my own girls, I think I struggled more with how to approach this because I just, I didn't have the experience. And that is not to put down anyone who is not a parent. I'm not saying you can't communicate this because, oh, you absolutely can. I just think my perspective was I didn't quite understand the role of being a parent and how to interact with them. And so Mm -hmm. I did the best I could. And now being a parent, um, personally, I, I now know that most parents, even if they act like they don't care or they're uninvolved, sometimes they're just taken aback and embarrassed Mm -hmm. and they don't know what to do. And so they may react with you in a way that they're just, they may not be surprised or they may be surprised and they just might be like, what have I done? I'm a horrible parent. And I guess my child's not being raised well, and they beat themselves up. Mm. And so it's hard, because you can take it personally as a teacher with whatever they tell you. And as a parent, 
when someone shares information about your child that's hard to hear, you take it personal as well. And then you have to figure out what are we gonna do about this with the student. So initiating a hard conversation, um, I actually asked this on Instagram. It was like, when you contact parents, how do you contact them? Most people said they contact by email. And yep. then quite a few said by phone. And I would say I used to contact more by email. And now I contact, unless the phone number is not in the directory, I contact uh -huh. almost completely by phone because I am afraid of my tone of voice not being, I mean, people who know me know my tone of voice, mm -hmm. but an email can come across harsher or the words can be taken in the wrong way. And so emails are great to initiate or to give maybe an overview of details. But I think phone calls, as scary as they might feel, yep. really can be a connecting point between families. They don't have to be long, but just a way to communicate some difficult information about, you know, this was the choice your child made in class today. I want to make you aware. So I kind of have a similar conversation starter that I do every single time I call home and it's not, I don't follow a script, but I found mm -hmm. over time, this is how I initiate it. I'm like, hi, this is Jessica Grant, you know, the music teacher at school. And um, do you have a moment? And then of course, you know, whatever they say. Uh, and then I would just say, I just wanted to make you aware of something that happened in class today. And then sticking with the facts, not the feelings. So that is a huge, huge thing that has helped me because sometimes I would bring in my own emotions. Well, I felt like the student was doing this or they were meaning this, but I saw, and it's like, just stick to the facts. The child, mm -hmm. I don't know, threw the pencil across the room. It hit the student here. Here's what I said to the student afterward. Here's what we discussed. Mm -hmm. And I let them know I'd be calling you. I just wanted to make you aware of what happened. And then I think the other key is when you call home about something difficult, it's really focusing on helping, not on telling. So Ooh. you're focusing on your calling because you care about the student, not because you are so frustrated and angry at what the student did that you need to let those parents know what this child did. And I have done that before where I was like, I am so done. I don't know what to do with this kid. These parents need to get on this and fix this. Mm -hmm. And I want them to know their actions so that, you know, and it's like that never went anywhere. Mm. And when I realized this child is crying out for attention in some way, they're making these choices for whatever reason. There could be many, many reasons. But when I call home, my goal is to truly help that child to build the bridge with them, to work with the family no matter what the family's opinions might be on what I share. And I'm going to assume that the family and the parents, guardians, whoever I'm talking to want to help, mm -hmm. even if their speech or their actions afterward, if I take it as, oh, they're not doing anything at home, they're just letting them get away with this. And I guess they just don't understand their child. Mm -hmm. Parents have such a hard job and we don't know what that family is going through, what those parents are going through, what they are carrying, and the parents helping their child is going to look different in different situations. We can't control that, but we can share, here's the facts, here's what they did. I want to help what works for you, 
what can we put in place? And then just assume that they are wanting to help if for some reason it escalates and it becomes where the parent is berating you mm-hmm. or you feel like, um, I don't want to say under attack, but just you feel very no, it can feel comfortable. Like that. It can. Yep. Um, I have been there. I ended up just crying and crying as this parent yelled at me. Um, and it was more, it was an in-person thing actually. And a colleague walked over and said, we are not going to talk to our staff that way. This is not okay. And this was early on in my teaching. And so they walked me over because I was a young teacher. I didn't know. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so terrible. And I didn't know what to say and help. And so if you feel like I don't feel that I can talk with this parent in this way, I need support, then you need to ask for a meeting the next time you have to call and Mm. include your vice principal, your principal, or even the counselor, just to Mm. have somebody else there and invite the child there too, if it's appropriate, if they're old enough, Um, depends on the age, of course. My middle schoolers, if there's something we need, we always meet in person, family, myself, and then the child too, to say, hey, we are all on the same team. Mm. So I, I think the hard conversations, it's just trust that they want the best for their child too, mm-hmm. no matter what you may think of it. Focus on helping, stick to the facts. And if you end up talking to a family who may not agree with what you are saying and what you are sharing, then I often will, and I have not encountered this hardly at all, but in those few times, I just make it my best to talk with that student, let them know I care, let them know that when we're in class, this is the expectation. And then I just do my best to continue to reach that child, even if I feel like we're not getting anywhere. Mm. Um, I, I have at times realized I may not be the teacher that makes the difference in that child's life, but I can still be respectful. I can still be kind. I can still react to them the way I would to any other student and I can redirect. I can be as patient as I can be. And then I can have the consequences for whatever's going on in class and hold my boundaries. But at the same time, be okay with saying, I'm probably not the person that is going again to be their life changer. Somebody Mm -hmm. else will, but I do want them to remember that I was kind and courteous and respectful mm. of them as a human being. So mm. hard conversations are hard, um, but it's better to have them than to not. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, I've always had so much more success in building relationships by having the hard conversations than just going, uh, I'm just going to let that one go. I, mm-hmm. I don't need to call on that. I'll, I'll just keep going. I always have a much better outcome and not only more support from families, but Mm. helping the children and especially teenagers know, like, I'm in this for you. I'm teaching because I love you. I'm teaching Mm. because I want to share my love of music, but I really love working with people and with teenagers. So when they know that they, they kind of work more with you, you know, and again, you may not win them all, but you can continue being consistently who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is so beautiful. 
tell me, Jessica, let's imagine that um, I have never made a parent phone call uh, because it is just way too scary. And I think that it's going to end. Number one, I don't want to take the time to do it. I just want to like leave that kid at, you know, third period and I want to go home and I want to see them the next time I see them. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to take extra time from my mind (laughs) to call the parent after school. Number one, uh, the child is still on your mind when you go home. You're not saving yourself time thinking about that kid. You are ruminating on whatever happened that day at school. So it's not saving anyone time and actually it's making it worse because you are assigning a motivation to that student. You are building up resentment for that situation. Nothing is getting better. But if someone is too nervous to make a phone call, can you help us write a template? That way we have something to go off of the next time we need to pick up the phone. I heard you I heard you template out a lot of it. Um, you know, hi, this is Jessica Grant. I'm the music teacher. I, I, I teach your child at whatever school, um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, a situation today where, and then you describe the specific behavior. Yes. Now, okay, so we have it from there. Now what? Because so now, it, yeah. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to say, is it, is it really that we just want to make the parent aware or are we asking for an action from the parent? I think it's kind of both and one uh, it's kind of both in a way i think that when i call a parent i want to make them aware because if this becomes a consistent behavior or a consistent choice mm. then that is going to cause other students and the student to miss out on learning and participating and it, it just adds stress to the entire class environment I think that we can't demand that parents do anything about it at home because that's their choice. That's, you know, of course, we have to let them parent their kids the way that they want to parent their kids. And honestly, I don't know that I would know what to tell them because I'm not in their shoes. I only see what I see in the classroom. And I think making them aware can be a start because they may have no idea. Or it might be a student who is normally really, really making great choices. And they had a rough moment. And yeah, this parent may be like, thank you so much for telling me we've been having a hard time at home. And I, I've been seeing similar things. Okay. I'm not alone in this. You yeah. know, the, the child is going through something and they're trying to tell us something with what, what their actions are showing. So I think it's kind of both, uh, in a mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as the template, once you've shared, here are the facts. If you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even remember. Because sometimes that happens too, where you're like, you get to the end of the day to call the family and you're like, oh my goodness, like, I know something was said in class or I know, you know, the facts are, the facts are I'm tired and I'm mad at your kid. And those are the facts. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, someone said something and someone did something. Yeah, that's about it. Um, Sometimes it helps if you have a moment after that class, jot down a few notes. Oh, yeah. Here's what I said. Here's what they said. And if you need to write it out or just process it, say it out loud before you call, Mm -hmm. that can be very helpful, too, 
to just going, okay, this is why I want to share. And once you've shared, I think this is what you were talking about. Are we expecting action from parents? But I think it's more, I want to make you aware. And the one thing I always go towards is how can I help? Ooh. What can I do in the classroom? I can't control what's going on at home. But again, like I said, we focus on helping. We're not focusing on telling what can I do? And sometimes the parents oftentimes will go, I'm really not sure. I just don't know. And I can say, well, I can move their seat. I can be more in contact with you. I can email you, let you know how the next class goes. I can pull your child aside before class and just say, I had a talk with your family and I just want you to know I care about you. And this is what we saw. And I can't wait to have you in music again. And I'm sure you'll make better choices. Reframing it positively. I, I always tell my students, every class is a new class. We are not bringing in what happened from the last class because that was that day. That was that time. So we are going to start fresh and new. Everybody gets to start with a brand new clean slate. And we give the opportunity for everyone to start over again. And Mm. I think that helps them a lot because it's like, oh, last class so-and-so did. And it's like, that was last class. We're, We're here now. Give them the opportunity to make good choices now. Moving on. And trying not to continue that, that thought of just, oh, they were bad that class or even saying they were bad, just they made bad choices that class. Great. Here they come again. Give them the opportunity. Of course, some kids may be consistently needing a lot more patience than others in that. And I, I just think asking the parents and telling them, what can I do to help lets them know that you are not there to just share all this information and then go, here you go. I've dumped this on you. You know, now it's off my chest. Good, good riddance. You know, instead it's like, what can I do to help? Um, if the parents aren't sure, just give them options. Like I said, I can move their seat. I can talk to them. Uh, we can make a behavior plan. I can email you how their mm-hmm. next class goes. And you can also ask, is there something about music that they enjoy? Is there mm-hmm. something maybe they've mentioned? Oh my goodness. I love when we play drums. So then when we're playing drums in the next class, if you see that student doing a pattern really beautifully, ask them to share it with the class, build their confidence in that music skill. Even if it's just one time where they're doing something right, finding something positive that they're doing can be really helpful. And then after sharing, if I can help, you can simply just say, well, just know, you know, you can contact me anytime. I just wanna make sure we're working together to support your child and give them the best musical experience possible. And that may be the end of the conversation. And that's plenty. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is that you have the confidence in yourself as a human and as a teacher to pick up the phone and make a phone call and not make it about how defensive you are about you. And you may need some time to cool off. There have been some times where I'm like, it it feels, well, it is personal, but it it feels so personal and either you're hurt. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I cry when I'm angry. (laughs) I don't get like overly bad. Like I cry. And so if I feel like I'm going to cry on the phone, I don't call. I wait. And I, I I give it a a little bit of time. It might be an hour. It might be a couple of hours, but just, I don't want to cry on the phone if at all possible out of anger. And I don't want to say something that I will regret And I think it's, 
it's totally okay to just give yourself a moment and calling gets easier. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Those first few phone calls are like terrifying because you're like, okay, I don't know what to expect on the other end. And that's scary. But the more, and you may not need to do this all the time to call, but the more often you just go, I'm just going to share with them because I care. Mm. And when the parents go, wow, she took time out to call. That was really nice of her. Wow. That she noticed my child and she cares enough. Most parents will side with that rather than, man, why'd she waste my time? You know? Mm. So I, I just think it's, it takes some time and just give yourself a little outline of what you want to say, share what you have to say, be kind and courteous. And I think you'll feel a sigh of relief afterward. Like you said, it's going to be in your head. You're going to be thinking about it until the next time you see that child. And this way you're like, I did what I could and mm-hmm. we're going to leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. A couple things to, to yes. And for that, um, we are, we are not responsible for how parents feel about their child throwing a pencil across the room. It's not my responsibility to make you feel anything about, you know, your child, I don't know, smacking another kid upside the head or, or whatever it is. Like, I did not throw a pencil at a student. A student threw a pencil at a student. And those are the facts. And it doesn't matter how we feel about those facts. That's the situation, right? And it's, I am, I am only responsible for how I deliver the message. You know, so it's a control what you can control kind of thing. Another, another thing that I'm thinking about is recognizing, going back to what you said, recognizing what is the fact and what is my feeling about the fact? And both of them are true and both of them are equally valid, right? It is equally valid that I am insecure and disappointed and angry um, and, oh, I don't know, just downright sad, right? All of those feelings are absolutely true and valid. And the fact is that a student blurted out in class three times, I gave a verbal redirection and they threw a pencil. Those are the facts. And I can separate what happened from my motivation that I assigned to that student. Like they're doing it because they're bad. Oof. When we say like, that's a bad kid. Okay, well, that's a motivation we're assigning to the student. Also separating the the facts of the situation from my emotional interpretation on my end. And you are allowed to have feelings about it. You're going to. I mean, it's hard not to take things personal because we care so much. And music, I feel like it has a different kind of emotion tied to it that other subjects maybe don't. And I mm-hmm. could just be wrong just mm-hmm. because I teach music. But I just feel like it. it is giving more of yourself in who you are in an emotional response to what mm-hmm. you are creating and designing for these students. And it's okay that you feel that it is personal. It's hard not to. I think in the conversations with parents, when it's hard, the reason you want to take your feelings to the side is just so that then it can't be argued with. Yeah. Uh, you just feel that way. Well, that's your interpretation. Instead, it's like, this is, here's just what happened. I just want you to know what happened. And factual information gives them things a little more unemotionally. Um, that are less difficult to argue with. It's like, and sometimes too, I will say, like you said, depending on how we feel about things, you might even share, this may not seem like a big deal. Mm -hmm. Throwing a pencil may not seem like a big deal. 
what it was, was that we then had to wait five minutes. It cost us time. We could have been making music. The potential for someone to be harmed was there. I just wanted to make you aware. So sometimes you can acknowledge, yes, blurting out three times may seem like, well, they're just talkative. Well, right. Yes. But if I have 20 students in a class and they all blurt out three times, that is 60 times. And that is going to be a lot of unnecessary interruptions to being able to learn something. So mm-hmm. acknowledging that it may not seem big, sometimes also it's it's just kind of human going, it may not seem like it, but it adds up. Yeah, absolutely. And when you say like they blurted out three times and then we paused class to get back on track, what you're not saying is he was trying to do this for attention. And you're not saying he was bothering everyone around him. So instead of saying the interpretation, just I, I think I think this is really important to hone in on because I see it. Um, this is a uh, like I spot it because I got it kind of thing. Like I see it in other people, and I register when other teachers do this because I register when I do this, and I do this. Um, you know, like my hand is right up there with everyone here. Like I do this for I don't know other people outside of teaching. Right? They were doing this to blank. And we don't know. We only know what we saw. One one thing that I found to be very helpful would be to uh, kind of front load my first three phone calls. Like if you're at a new school or something like that, make those like the happy, glowing, positive, and you you follow you follow the same template. Like, hi, I'm Mrs. Bowler. I teach a ba ba ba. I wanted to make you aware of a situation in class where so-and-so was nervous to try a solo and they tried it and they were fabulous. And everyone gave them silent applause and they, a silent thumbs up and they, their face just lit up. And I just wanted to make you aware. Yeah. Making the positive phone calls. Oh my gosh, those are the best. Because it's just the it's just the practice of picking up the phone and dialing a parent number and being like, oh, I hope it goes to voicemail. I hope it goes to voicemail. Oh, I hope I don't have to, you know, and then like, and then you have the conversation and you realize that at the end of the conversation, you're still alive. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So if you, if you feel uh, nervous about causing about the potential for someone else to feel uncomfortable as a result of what you are sharing with them then you know just just thinking through how you can go through the motion of practicing something practicing anything like what is my scaffold that i need (laughs) you know like how can i how can i prepare myself for this because everyone wants to give good news yes oh yeah the good news is the best and we sometimes forget about it because we're so focused on fixing um situations and I don't mean fixing children I just yep, mean yep, yep. like finding like where it's easier to find things that's like oh I need to help them or oh I you know I need to fix the mistake in the music that we got rather than going oh my gosh we got 20 other things correct yeah I need to focus on that and play praise them for that too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes absolutely okay Jessica I think uh we are ready to move into some rapid fire because our time is about up here. So we're just going to have some some quick questions. Before we do that, do you have any um, tidy little bow on this untidy subject of difficult communication with parents and colleagues? Um, I would just say, take it a day at a time. I love your idea of practicing with a positive phone call. Um, as we talked about at the beginning, 
find little ways to take care of yourself. Sometimes you'll have 30 minutes in a day. Sometimes you'll have mm. two, but don't hesitate or go, well, it doesn't matter. I can just continue without it. Give yourself some grace, give yourself some time to rest. And then the one thing we didn't quite get to was the initiating conversations where if a parent yeah. initiates a difficult one. So I'd say just in wrapping up that it's kind of the exact same as you presenting them with a hard conversation. When they share with you, realize that most of the time they're not trying to attack you. Most mm -hmm. of the time they're really thinking about their child and mm -hmm. they're looking for understanding. And I mm. think if you can give families understanding, give students understanding and give yourself the ability to work with the people that are in your community, um, you're going to have a lot more grace for yourself and for mm. others. So, yeah, teaching's hard. Hard conversations are hard, but it, it they can get easier. Beautiful. I love it. That's great. Can you talk to us about uh, the role of, you've mentioned like writing things down and I know you're a big journaler. So if, if people don't have like a writing practice or something like, like that, I heard you mention like jotting down notes that uh, a student that you observed. Um, I know that you have like a journaling practice. I have your journal. It's, I'm looking at it right now. Tell us, um, why do you care about writing? I read a book by Alison Fallon called The Power of Writing It Down. It was one of my favorite books in the last year. And it was basically just not only writing is like therapy, but just words are powerful and meaningful. Mm. And if we're able to put our thoughts and our words down on paper, mm. I just think that connection between the brain and the hand, seeing it, speaking it, it's kind of like anything else where then you absorb it in multiple ways. And sometimes for me, when I write it down, I can then process the meaning of what I've written down compared to just when I'm thinking about it. So I, I just think writing is powerful and it mm. helps you work through things in a way that you might not otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. What was a recent win you had in your classroom, a, a recent like happy, joyful, fun experience that you had? Oh, gosh. Um, this year has been so joyful, I think, because it feels semi-normal compared to the last two. Yes. A recent win for me has been I am restarting choir again, getting back to having a choir in school since 2019, mm -hmm. early 20. And I was thinking like maybe 10 students would sign up and a win was that we had over about right around 30 students sign up after school and they were so eager to sing and the one comment at the end after rehearsal was it's over already like, it's done already but i want to keep singing and i think the win was just that the students were having so much fun singing again in a group with their friends that just they didn't want it to end yeah. Yeah. It feels so special. It feels so special to stand shoulder to shoulder with a human and open your mouth and sing. Like, <laughs> yes. Um, what is the next teaching project that you're excited about? That I'm doing or, okay. Um, goodness. I like to have a lot of things going on in my mind at one time. 
I think the thing that immediately comes to mind is with my eighth graders, we're focusing on a pop music um, project of sorts. Mm -hmm. And so we are taking some of the pop songs and students are learning how to find chord progressions, using the chord progressions to find rhythmic elements, to create mm. melodies out of the roots, thirds, and fifths. And we're doing this with the song Take On Me by yeah. Ah. Oh my gosh, it's been so much fun. And so that's one piece we're doing. And then the students give me a list of songs. They're like, we'd like to do this. And I'm like, great, we'll do that with ukulele. And uh, just the two of us by Bill Withers. And then they want to do As It Was by Harry Styles. So taking kind of beyond uh, some of the more typical ORF pieces and the volumes and adding a pop music element to it and having the students alongside, of course, they're eighth graders. So they, yep. oh my gosh, they're amazing. But having them walk alongside and then creating our own versions, our own covers of these songs that they love and enjoy. So that's the project I'm working on. I get the template set up, but then the students, I can guide them for where we're going and getting their insight into what more they want to do with it. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and I know that everyone listening is kind of like doing the math in their head to be like, okay, this is the eighth grade project. Here's how I can do the same process at you know a fourth grade level and still, and still make it um, as exciting and as energizing for those students. That's awesome. Okay, I want to hear more about that probably off the podcast. Um, if we are interested in this idea of parent communication and difficult conversations and knowing that hard things are hard and it's okay for things to be hard. Do you have any resources that you could point us to? You mentioned the power of writing it down and that is you know, not a, a book about difficult conversations, but it is a book about being aware of what's happening around you and finding a way you know, to get it out of your system you know, and so that you don't blow up at a parent. Do you have any other resources that we could go to to learn more about how to sit with these uncomfortable conversations? Ooh, that's a good question. Ooh, off the top of my head, I'm like, I don't think I do, but I am sure that I learned these ideas from different workshops, from what right. other teachers have shared in the past, and of course, from experience. And um, I think any like, uh, well, this might be a good one. Um, there's a book I read this summer called The Teenage Brain. Mm. And it talked about, you know, literally the science of how the brain works, how students then perceive things because their frontal lobe, as we know, hasn't developed. But that was a good insight into mm. then, okay, what do you do in the classroom if teenagers are reacting in this way? What can we expect in general? Yeah. So that was a helpful resource. And there's, of course, I mean, there's lots of parent books out there. I loved the book Untangled by Dr. Lisa Damore. Uh, it's D-A-M-O-U-R. And that was more focused on girls and growth with girls. Um, but I, to be honest, I can't think of a precise resource that would show you how to have difficult conversations with parents I'm like well maybe that's one to be created then I was gonna say don't yeah. you know of any authors <laughs> who have any books coming out who yeah, could maybe, maybe include a chapter on this I I think that might be something that if people find this really helpful that this is an area that hasn't been talked about in this way 
potentially. I think it's been talked about, I'm sure, by many other educators, but mm -hmm. I can't think of a resource that is focused on this. So mm -hmm. either I am forgetting it or it needs to be created. So I'll have For to sure. look into that. <laughs> uh, Jessica, I remember a conversation we had, oh, maybe a couple months ago, where you talked about this and, and potentially including a chapter of this in your book, right? Yes, yes. So I know there's one of my hopes for the future is to do a teacher, uh, for lack of a better word, word, for lack of a better word, self-care, health and wellness type book where it's focused on just that. And mm -hmm. this may be an area that is a little off the beaten path, but maybe a way mm -hmm. to help us work through things and take care of ourselves while taking care of others. So yeah, no, absolutely. One of, one of the things that I, I think about a lot is like how fun it is to teach music and how not fun so many of the other things about the job can be, you know? And so we have, you know, as music teachers, we have endless amount of books on music pedagogy and musical activities and ideas for choral singing and choral arrangements and, you know, all, all sorts of things to help notational literacy, all of that, like all of that's the easy fun part. The hard part is what to do like with all the other humans involved if it involves a student that's easy if it involves another adult that's where things get tricky and you're right that just we don't have those we don't have those resources out there i think people are assuming that because we are also adults we know how to communicate with adults and often it's like no i know how to walk into my classroom and teach and just like shut the door and that's it you know so I think it's a it's an important topic. All right, Jessica, um, you have several resources yourself, and we talked about one that you're working on. Um, do you want to talk about uh, the word confidence came up a lot, and I know you and Danielle have your your course. Do you want to talk about that and just share um, a little bit about how people can find more of your work? You can talk about your podcast, things like that. Oh, I'd love to. So Danielle Larrick uh, at Musical Middles on Instagram, she and I connected, I don't know, it's been a couple of years, but we really connected this past spring to develop a course called The Confident Music Educator. You can find it at theconfidentmusiceducator.podia.com. And this course is focused for middle school educators, upper elementary educators of grades five through eight. And we really wanted to build inspiration for you to share some things that we've done in the classroom that have worked to help you create ideas and lessons for your own classroom to give you some mentorship if you're feeling like, what do I do with this next? Or here's mm -hmm. a song I want to use. What are some ideas for it? And then just to build your confidence as a music educator, there is even a section in, in our course where we talk about the difficult conversations. We talk about all sorts of things, assessment, lesson planning, technology. We talk about the whole musician educator looking at mm. yourself um, as who you are. And then we've got a journal that goes with it. It's video lessons. There's editable templates. There's just all sorts of content throughout the nine modules. And our, our goal is truly to help you. Mm. So definitely check that out. And Danielle's fabulous. Um, so again, on Instagram at Musical Middles, if you want to follow me on Instagram, my handle is kind of weird because Jessica Grant was taken, afternoon tea was taken. So it's hi, H-I-G-H, afternoon tea, spelled T-I. And the reason I chose that is 
I have a podcast for music educators called Afternoon Tea, spelled T-I, and I have new episodes that come out every Tuesday. I just love sharing and learning. So if you're interested in sharing something on the podcast, let me know. And then I love F-flat books and the work that Sarah Gulish does there. So I have a book there called The Afternoon Tea Guide to Teaching Music and a journal. I also have a children's book coming out um, by the end of the year. Kind of the date is in flux right now, but that'll be um, coming out the end of the year with some SEL lessons, with a choral mm. piece, a drum piece, uh, ways to incorporate it into a program. And um, I'm so excited about that one. And then I have a website. So my website is jessicagrant.org. You can find blog posts there. You can find podcast information. You can see some of my favorite things. If you love Peloton or you love cooking or just, you know, if you want to know books that I'm reading, you just want to get to know me a little bit better, you can go to the website. So Victoria, this was so kind of you to have me on and I just always love learning from you and sharing. I'm very, very grateful for your time. I'm very grateful for the wisdom that you have in uh, in this area. I'm grateful for the perspective that you bring to this, which is both very practical, practical and actionable, but it also comes from a place where you are looking at, we talk about like teaching the whole child. You are looking at the whole music teacher and it's a very, um, it's a very grounded and uh, thoughtful approach to going through some of the difficult things that we have in our lives. And I definitely appreciate you sharing your own background, your own story, because I know that that's something that so many people listening are going to be nodding their heads and saying, yes, identify. They're giving you like the, I connect with that sign in their cars. Um, so I'm just, I'm very grateful for all of the wisdom that you've shared today. Oh, well, thank you. 